We all know what it's like to have random encounters with strangers, don't we? Usually it's fairly innocuous. We might, we might meet someone out in public somewhere and exchange a few pleasantries about the weather. We might be, pushing, uh, might be coming into the checkout line at the grocery store and somebody's got that overflowing cart loaded with eight zillion things and we've got two or three things and that very nice stranger says, oh, why don't you go ahead of me? We have lots of interactions like that, that with people that we don't know that are very pleasant and enjoyable. Sometimes those strangers do strange things. <laughs> Maybe you're standing in line to check out at the store and the person next to you randomly starts talking to you about their political views. <laughs> or they want to show you all the pictures of their grandkids. <laughs> or maybe they just want to tell you their life story. And when those kind of things happen, we go, oh, why me, Lord? <laughs> Those encounters can feel so intrusive and awkward. And if you're like me, the usual goal is to nod politely and try and end that conversation as quickly as possible and get on your way. Because we don't enjoy being interrupted in weird ways by people we don't know. And it's natural for us to think that God isn't involved in those kinds of situations. However, I've learned over the years that some strange encounters with strangers aren't just random. They're not just coincidences. Sometimes those strange encounters with strangers are actually divine appointments arranged by God. And you see, sometimes what he does, he uses a stranger to interrupt us, to get our minds off our plans and our agenda and our schedule, so then we can listen to God. Because many times he has plans for us that we don't know anything about until he interrupts us. And so he does something very out of the ordinary to get our attention. And that's what happens when Jesus is just 40 days old. A little tiny baby. And on that day, His parents, Joseph and Mary, take their baby to the Jewish temple to participate in a special religious ceremony. But God interrupts their plans by orchestrating two strange encounters with complete strangers. And this morning, I want us to not just read and hear what happens in this story, I want us to see what happens in this story. So we're going to look at some pictures on the screen which recreate the events of that day, as Julie reads the passage to us. So let's listen and let's watch, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Thank you. 
Now, if we want to fully grasp the impact of these events, we need to understand something about ancient Jewish spiritual practices because the deeply held beliefs of Judaism shaped the plans and expectations that Joseph and Mary had for that specific day. Now, we know that the parents of Jesus are faithful Jews, which means then their goal is to do what's proper under the Jewish law given to them by God. And so, as we heard, the first thing is eight days after birth... Jesus is circumcised and he's formally given his name. And then the second thing, Mary, like all new mothers, is required to go through a period of purification by staying at home for an extended period following childbirth. Chapter 12 of the book of Leviticus tells us that this quarantine period was 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter. And we heard that in the passage. This was happening 40 days after Jesus was born. Now that point of of quarantine is complete. And this may sound strange to us, but we need to grasp the fact that God established this purification practice for three important reasons. And two of those reasons are practical, and one of them is deeply spiritual. Practical reason number one. After delivering a baby women can contract various infections, and some of those infections can be fatal. And most of those infections were undiagnosed until the 19th and 20th centuries. So ancient cultures had little understanding of the causes and no idea about treatment and cures. They just knew that new mothers often became ill and sometimes died after giving birth. And so God instituted this quarantine, which greatly reduced infections among new mothers, which improved their health, and it saved many, many lives. And here's the point God wants us to see. He was protecting those people from things they didn't know and didn't understand. God does that for his people. And we need to understand that because it still applies in our day. We live in an information society. We live in a world of data. And we just turn to Google and we think we have the answers for everything. But there is so much about life and the human body and the world that we don't know even today. And what we need to realize is that in our day, just like in the ancient Middle East, God still is working in ways beyond our knowledge and beyond our understanding. And he does that to watch over us and care for us and protect us because we don't know everything we need to know. And so this ancient ritual is a powerful reminder that our God knows what he is doing. And that's just practical reason number one. Practical reason number two, in our modern era, unfortunately, there's a lot of cultural pressure to eradicate male and female distinctions. And it may strike us as odd that the purification period was different depending upon the sex of the baby. 40 days for a son, 80 days for a daughter. Well, why did God do that? It's because when he gave his law to the Jewish people, they had just been rescued from hundreds of years of slavery. And when generations of men have been treated like cattle, they do not know how to be good husbands, good fathers, or good men. 
Jewish men had to be taught by God how to treat women well with dignity and respect. And so these purification laws and so many other sex-based laws that we find in the Old Testament were given to remind the Jews that they are human beings made in God's image and that men and women are different. Not unequal, just different. And in particular, men are not supposed to act like beasts toward women, but to treat them with great respect. And it's tragic that our society is losing its way in this area because because we just don't value male and female as distinct but equally important God-given identities as we should. Something we as God's people must never forget. Well, those are the two practical reasons, and then there's the spiritual reason. These purity rituals after, were practiced after birth because of the blood that was present during the delivery. And many aspects of Jewish law were designed to teach people the value, both real and symbolic, of blood. God wanted his people to see blood as distinctly important so they would grasp the incredible meaning of what took place when Jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin. And these three reasons are the backstory to the opening verses of our passage. And so Mary gives birth to Jesus. She quarantines at home for 40 days. Excuse me. And then she and Joseph go to the temple to make a monetary offering and a sacrificial offering. And for them, this is a special day as an expression of their faith. It's a day of expectation. And they would head to the the temple with hearts full of thankfulness. Thankful that Jesus and Mary are healthy. Thankful to be able to present their firstborn to God. And because they're very human people, I'm sure they're hoping to run into some family and friends so they can show off their first child. (laughs) Because isn't that something all new parents like to do? There's another little interesting nuance in the text. The law says that when you do this, when you come into the temple on that day to make that sacrifice of thankfulness to God, you're supposed to offer a sacrificial lamb. But lambs are expensive. If you can't afford a lamb, then you sacrifice a pair of pigeons or doves. And as we heard, Joseph and Mary choose that option, which means they're not financially well off. It tells us that the parents God chose for his son were materially poor, yet they obviously were very spiritually rich. And that should tell us something very important about God's priorities. So because of all of this background and tradition and spiritual expectation, Joseph and Mary step into the temple full of their expectations and full of their plans. And yet as they prepare to go about their business, God interrupts them because of what he has planned. As we pick up the story in verse 25, we're going to see a strange encounter with a stranger. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. For a moment, try and put yourself in Mary's place. You've come into the house of God on this very special day. You've got your six-week-old son in your arms. You're excited, you're filled with anticipation, and then this stranger approaches you, and he reaches for your baby, and you let him touch him and hold him. (sighs) I find myself wondering, why, Mary, would you do that? I'm not a mom, I'm a dad, but my instinct would be to go, (laughs) I I can't think of any reason for a new mom to behave that way. And so I think in some way, God allowed Mary to see something special in Simeon. And Simeon was a special man because the Holy Spirit was upon him, which was highly unusual at that time. For some 400 years, there had been no recorded activity of the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit became active in the conception and birth of Jesus, and now the Spirit rests on Simeon. Oh, he's a very distinctive man. And there's a backstory here, too. Simeon is special because of his heart for God. You see, at this time, most Jewish people were looking for a political deliverer. They were praying for God to send them a Messiah who would be a military leader, someone who would throw off the yoke of Roman rule and restore Israel as an independent kingdom. And then some of those people were very vocal and very activist. Some of them organized violent protests and even engaged in rebellions. We've certainly seen our share of political unrest in recent years. But our conflicts are nothing like what happened in first century Israel. But here's what's interesting. It tells us something about Simeon. While most Jews were focused on political deliverance, there were others who focused on spiritual deliverance. And this group of people were called the quiet in the land the quiet in the land. And they were called that because they weren't making a lot of political noise. And instead they devoted themselves to patiently waiting and continually praying 
for a spiritual Messiah to come and usher in the kingdom of God. The men and women who were the quiet in the land, they knew that, deliver, that, that political deliverance wasn't the answer. They knew that independence from Rome would be nice, but it wasn't the solution. They knew that only a spiritual Messiah, a Messiah who, would, who could restore the soul of the nation, only that would bring true consolation to Israel. Consolation to Israel. That's a key phrase. Our passage says Simon is waiting for Israel's consolation. And that tells us he's one of the quiet in the land. And so he's not praying for the overthrow of Rome and the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He's praying for the kingdom of God to come into the world and to bring God's light to both Jews and Gentiles. We don't know a lot about this man, Simeon. This is the only place he appears in Scripture as far as I've been able to tell. But I spent a lot of time thinking about him, and he impresses me. And I think the way that he lives out his faith in the midst of a highly politicized culture is a timely example for us. You see, if we're not careful, we can mix politics and faith together in ways that don't align with the purposes of God. We can get very passionate about our particular political views and when we passionately want something, we can mistakenly think that God must want what I want. (laughs) And that's what a whole lot of the ancient Jews did when they prayed for a political Messiah rather than a spiritual Messiah. And we need to realize that implementing our own personal political preferences Well, it might not actually be part of God's plan. Now, having said that, it's important for us to be politically informed and to vote and to fulfill our responsibilities as citizens. Yet we never can forget that no political party and no politician will ever bring about the consolation of God's people. Only God can do that. And so our highest priority always should be to help bring about the kingdom of God. To bring God's wisdom and values into this world. To help people find their lives changed through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, well, how do we do that? Jesus shows us the way through his life and ministry. He spells out the principles of God's kingdom in his Sermon on the Mount. He gives us practical examples of kingdom living in every one of his parables. And he urges us to pray, Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, see, that's that's not just a prayer for some far off, distant hope for a future. That's a prayer for today. When you and I live as Jesus invites us to live, we are each doing our own small part to help bring the kingdom of God into our world right here and right now. And so I'm deeply moved by the faith of Simeon, and I consider him to be one of our great spiritual ancestors because he was patiently waiting and praying for the Messiah to come who would make the kingdom of God a reality for people like us. 
And somehow as he was waiting, the Spirit let him know that he would not die until he met the Messiah personally. That's pretty incredible. And so on this particular day, Simeon's not at the temple, but the Spirit says, get over there. (laughs) And so he wanders over to the, the, the temple, and he's looking for the Messiah. And he finds him. And we need to understand that that was a minor miracle. The Jewish temple is huge. It would not be hard to come into this room and find somebody. But the Jewish temple had multiple courts. And oftentimes it was thronged with thousands of worshipers. And the Holy Spirit leads Simeon right to Joseph, Mary, and the baby. He's he's in the exact right location at the exact right time to meet the Messiah. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's a divine appointment. And Simeon sees Jesus and he realizes he's the answer to those prayers. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, which means the Holy Spirit told him that. And in response to that incredible moment, this moment promised by God, Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and he thanks God for keeping his promise. And in fact, he says, now I can depart in peace, meaning I can die now, God. I'm ready to go. My purpose in life is complete. And I find that rather amazing because it means that Simeon is okay with not seeing the rest of the story play out. He's meeting the baby Messiah, but he's not going to be around long enough to hear Jesus preach. He's not going to see Jesus perform a miracle. He's not going to witness the exciting aftermath of the resurrection. After a lifetime of waiting, Simeon sees only the merest glimpse of the very beginning of God's plan. And Simeon says, hey God, that's enough for me. Now I don't know about you, but I'd find it really hard. Because I don't like to wait. And when I do wait, and the waiting is over, then I don't want just a little piece of the action, I want it all. Who wants to get tickets to the Super Bowl and watch the kickoff and then leave? (laughs) That's kind of what Simeon experiences here. And yet he's doing that with incredible contentment because he trusts God. He's got confidence in how the story will turn out. It also tells us that Simeon is content with his own small part in God's bigger story and that's a tremendous sign of spiritual maturity and it's an attitude that you and I would do well to cultivate in our own lives we're not the center of the story it's all about Jesus well Simeon thanks God but then he's not yet finished because then he offers some prophetic words and those prophetic words really are a mixed blessing usually when you bless parents it's all good news But as we heard, this is good news and bad news. You see, the Holy Spirit lets Simeon know that Mary's life will not be full of peace. Not with a Messiah for a son. There's going to be good times ahead, but there's also hard times ahead for Mary. And in fact, there's going to be some good times and hard times ahead for everybody who hangs out with Jesus. And Simeon's blessing then is a prophetic warning to Mary to prepare her for the challenges of the future. 
And he tells her, again, he only can know this through the power of the Holy Spirit, he tells her that Jesus is going to upset the established order of things and he's going to stir people up and many will oppose him. And Mary doesn't know it yet, but Jesus is going to do some pretty strange stuff. (laughs) He's going to leave behind the family business of being a carpenter. He's going to go off and preach. He's going to cast demons out of people. He's going to do miracles. He's going to hang out with lowly and disreputable people. And then he's going to wind up on a cross. Oh, there is so much sorrow ahead for Mary. It's no wonder that Simeon says, Mary... A sword will pierce your own soul. And it's interesting that Simeon doesn't direct those comments to both parents. He says that to Mary, just Mary. Why might that be? Well, a few reasons. Number one, I think there's something really special about the heart of a mother. As a dad, I love my kids, but I see when Julie's with our kids, it's different. The mom-child relationship is different because that child is the fruit of your own body. And in this case, I think the difference is even more stark because as we know, Mary was miraculously impregnated by God, which means Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. So all that's going to happen with Jesus is going to tug on Mary in a way that it never will with Joseph. So Mary has this dramatic encounter with Simeon, but guess what? God's not yet done. They've had this strange encounter with a stranger, and right on the heels of this, they have another strange encounter with another stranger. (laughs) And this time, they hear a prophecy which confirms the unique role that Jesus will play through his ministry. Let's continue on in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What an unusual woman. Grew up, got married, married for seven years, and then a widow for the rest of her life. And at some point, she literally moves into the temple. That's where she lives. And there in the temple, she just devotes herself continually to fasting and prayer. And she's recognized as a prophetess, which means God speaks to his people through her. And so now here's this divine appointment as Joseph, Mary, and Jesus come walking by her. And God uses Anna's gift of prophecy to let everyone know that this little baby Jesus is coming as a redeemer. Redeemer. Redeeming, redemption, redeemer. Those are words we use a lot in church. But we don't often stop to say, what does it actually mean? What does it mean to redeem something? It means to buy it back. Excuse me. However, Jesus 
in his ministry is coming not to redeem things, but to redeem human beings. And through his death on the cross at the end of his ministry, Jesus will buy the spiritual freedom of people who are lost in the condition of sin. He will buy us back to bring us into the family of God where we belong. And that's why he came. And so here in this moment, while Jesus still is an infant, God drives that message home so people can begin to understand. God uses Anna, this very special, yet let's admit it, a very strange woman, (laughs) to confirm what he's been saying to Joseph and Mary throughout all of the very strange events of of Christmas. It began when an angel showed up to Mary and said, said, you're gonna have a son, miraculously, who's gonna bring about the kingdom of God. And then an angel showed up to Joseph and said, it's okay, what's happening in Mary is orchestrated by me. Don't freak out, Joseph. And he said, Mary's son's gonna save people from their sins. Simeon basically just said the same thing. And now Anna, this known prophet, confirms that this little baby is God's chosen redeemer. God is repeating himself again and again and again because this message is so strange and amazing, it would be easy for people to miss it. And as we know, many people will miss it. But God's making clear at the beginning of Jesus' life what his purpose is, to redeem us save us from our sins to bring about God's kingdom well needless to say Joseph and Mary didn't come to the temple that day expecting these two strange encounters to happen did they (laughs) this day has evolved very different from what they expected these divine appointments have been momentous as God confirms his plans for their son and yet because of these interruptions they still haven't done what they came for God's plans superseded their plans. And so after their encounters with Simeon and Anna, then they do what they originally planned. Let's listen to the final part of this passage. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Thank you. So when they're done with these strange encounters with strangers. They make a monetary offering. They sacrifice the birds. And then they return home. And it seems to me this is often how life works. Something takes place in our life that is this intense spiritual experience. And then we have to go and step back into the normal rhythms and routines of life. When I was younger, we oftentimes go off to summer camp and they talked about the challenge of the mountaintop experience. You know, you go off to this woodland retreat and you meet God and you have this great spiritual moment and then you have to come down off the mountain and just get back to the stuff of life. That's what's happening here. And sometimes those kinds of things lead to a letdown. And sometimes if we're not careful, we say to ourselves, well, that was really cool. That was amazing, God. But then we kind of put that experience on a shelf and we go on in life as if nothing really has changed. And that's not what our God wants for us. 
He wants his divine appointments to leave a mark on us. When God meets us in those moments, we are changed by those experiences because God is interrupting our lives. And the life of the other person that's in in that moment with us, God is doing that interruption in order to accomplish something significant. In conversations with some of you, I know that some of you have had some interesting divine appointments in your life. I've had my share. One vivid one sticks in my memory the time I went to the hardware store to pick up some supplies to finish a, a, a project at the house, and I'm standing there in the plumbing aisle, and this stranger just makes a beeline up to me and starts unloading on me all of the problems and difficulties of his life. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, <laughs> I just want to get some stuff and go fix a plumbing leak. But I had to ask, why is this guy doing that? How might the Holy Spirit be involved in that? I had to be patient and listen. I had to put my agenda on hold because God had a different agenda. And I had to listen carefully to him so I could listen carefully to the Spirit and then hopefully provide some appropriate words of encouragement. And so we had a little holy moment there in the plumbing aisle of Home Depot. (laughs) And then like Joseph and Mary, we went on about our business. But I know that man was touched by God through our encounter. And I was touched by God through that encounter because it reminded me that there's times when God will interrupt my plans in order to accomplish what he has planned. And I've had some other moments like that, strange encounters with strangers that led to an opportunity to provide a helping hand or to offer encouragement or sometimes to tell people about the God named Jesus who came to redeem us. And then there's times when someone approached me and my job was to listen because that stranger was sent by God to speak God's truth into my life. So however they occur, these various divine appointments, they remind us that God is active in our world. And they remind us that we can be more active at building God's kingdom if we are paying attention to the holy interruptions that he orchestrates. And for Joseph and Mary, their strange encounters with strangers confirmed God's plans for their son. And I find myself wondering, what kind of divine appointments might God have waiting for you and for me in 2024? We don't know, because when they happen, it'll be unexpected. What we need to do is listen to the Holy Spirit as Simeon did so that when that interruption occurs, we can be ready to respond and do our part to represent Jesus wisely and well and help build the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love this story. It is a very strange story. It's a very powerful story. 
And it's an important story because it reminds us that sometimes you interrupt our plans in order to accomplish your purposes. Please help us, Father, to not be so self-absorbed that we miss such moments when you want to bring them into our lives. Help us to be like our spiritual ancestor, Simeon, patiently waiting and faithfully praying for the kingdom of God. And help us to faithfully follow Jesus, living as he invites us to live so that we each can do our part to help bring your kingdom into this world. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we live toward that goal each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.